Coming up in this episode, Randy and I are going to talk about our featured ride, the Eureka Springs to Jasper, Arkansas ride. Also, we've got listener questions and the age-old question, does size matter? Randy seems to think so, but I don't know what he's using for reference. So stick around. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides Digital Network. Conversations about motorcycles, any random thoughts that pop into our head, and of course, one of the best places to ride in America, the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen and Randy Lewis. Northwest Arkansas. Greg here with Heartland Honda Power Sports and Marine in Springdale. I invite you to check out a huge end of summer super sale going on now. Cruise into Heartland Honda Super Summer Sale and take advantage of savings on Honda motorcycles. Save on Honda Goldwings, Honda Shadows, Honda Rebels, Honda Navvies, Honda Groms, and Honda Monkeys. We have a huge selection and great prices. Water more your thing? Don't miss out on our Honda Marine Super Sale on all remaining Coach and Manitou pontoon boats in stock. It's all happening at Heartland Honda Power Sports and Marine, your locally owned and operated Honda the dealer since 1996. Conveniently located off exit 72 from I-49, just north of Cracker Barrel. Online at heartlandhonda.com. Always wear a helmet, eye protection, protect clothing, never ride after consuming drugs or alcohol, and never use the street as a racetrack. For your safety, obey the law and read the owner's manual thoroughly. We're your first choice Honda Superstore. Motorcycle accidents happen, and sometimes victims choose to handle an insurance claim independently. Seeking compensation for damages is not easy without an experienced motorcycle accident attorney in your corner. Schmidt Law Firm has more than 75 years of combined legal experience and are revered as top Kansas City personal injury attorneys. They understand what is at stake in your case. Motorcycle accidents happen. Schmidt Law Firm will prove negligence and help you get full recovery. Find them online at KansasCityLawyers.com. Put Schmidt Law Firm on your side of the table because motorcycle accidents do happen. Well, welcome back to another episode of Random Thoughts from the Road. With me, as always, is my esteemed colleague. Gives him a little bonus in his head. Uh, Randy Little Lewis. From Bike Works in Urbana, Missouri. How are you, young man? What's up, tits? How you doing? Don't listen. I haven't got to the point where I'm wearing a a bro. Is that what they were called? A man bra? Uh, if you haven't, you should be. Are you little? Dirty dog. Hang on a second. <laughs> it's got you all discombobulated, doesn't it? There's something we've established. There's something wrong mm-hmm. with you. Okay. So, our featured ride, and I don't know if you've ever taken this or not, Eureka Springs, the Jasper 66-mile ride. It's on page one of the Arkansas Ride Maps at OzarkRides.com. Have you ever been on this ride? Hell if I know. You don't know. You don't pay attention. You just just ride. Pretty much. You you end up where you end up. That's kind of how it goes. Whenever People always ask me, where are you going today? And I say, home. I just don't know how I'm getting there. Which route? (laughs) So this is a ride that takes what I like to call the less traveled back roads, like uh, Arkansas State Road uh, 62 out of Eureka Springs. You'll take that over to Berryville, where you'll pick up Arkansas 21 out of Berryville, 
and then you head north uh, on 43 until you get to Arkansas 74. This Arkansas 74 is a top-notch first cabin kind of road. No. It is. Shut up. Just just listen. You might learn something. <laughs> Train of thought. Gone. Yeah. It's a great road. Uh, it's probably the, well, it's not probably, it is the best part of this ride. Um, I will say that if you're not uh, somewhat of a skilled rider, uh, you probably should take uh, this portion of the ride with a modicum of caution. So it's been a while since you've been on it, huh? A couple days. Skills starting to lack. Everything's been a drooping oh, a little bit. Oh, we're going to cover that in a minute too. <laughs> so you should take this with a little caution. Keep your head on a swivel. As this part of the ride has a lot of twisties, uh, a lot of epic scenery. It's one of those where it's carved into a side of a mountain. So on your right side is the, the mountain. mountain. Yeah. And I mean, it's right there at the road. Uh, but on the left side, it's a drop off and you yeah. can see forever. That's but cool. there's a lot of hairpin turns, switchbacks, curves. And it's so pretty. A lot of people stop focusing on the road. Big mistake. <laughs> and start looking at the scenery. Don't be that guy. Because, you know, it, it's a while before they get in there and, you know, scrape you off the, the, the pavement. Yeah. So all I can say is just take it slow and easy and enjoy the ride. That's what she said. Oh! Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> Plus, at the end of this ride, you can go to the world-famous Ozark Cafe. Tell me oh, you've been yeah. there. Yeah, mate. Sit back in time. Yes, sir. So, I mean, that, that's, it's, a, it's an all-in-one great ride. Now, on to the listener emails. This one is from Carl in Harrison, Arkansas, not that far away. Yeah, really close, actually. Yeah. It says, hey, guys, what do you think is too old to ride? And what kind of motorcycle do you recommend for an older rider? Well, I could see right now this is a trap. <laughs> I don't know. What are you riding, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, too old to ride. I'm going to say there is no right answer. It's Everybody is different. Yeah. I, I've known some people that are 25 years old, and they have no business being on a motorcycle. <laughs> and I've seen old codgers, uh, you know, way older than me. Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, I just came to mind. It was on this ride. I met a couple of guys at a gas station. They must have been in their 80s, and they were both tearing the road up on Hayabusa's. Oh, wow. So, see, it's, it's not different very commonplace. For, no, you don't. That's not something you see hardly. No. Well, never. No. So it depends on the person. Uh, there is no at magic age. You're too old to ride. I would say the thing would be if you get out there and ride and mentally you find yourself daydreaming and not paying attention to what you're doing, you kind of, you know, when you get older, your mind kind of goes, it wanders a little bit sometimes. Okay. If you're at that point or you are noticing your reflexes are no good, you, you know, that's something to think about. Now, the best kind of bike to ride when you get older, well, again, that's the same thing. It's subjective. I would say that if you want to keep riding, a lighter bike is way better than a big, heavy cruiser or touring bike. Fair enough. Because you can handle it better. And although I would have never said this just a few years back, and you see them a lot more nowadays, a trike yeah, yeah. is a way to go. It keeps you on the road. You know, you have to get past that mental thing of being on a trike, but there's nothing wrong with that if it keeps you on the road. Yeah, we've said it before. We'll say it again. We'll say it. <laughs> if you get to that point, have no shame and just go to a trike. It's, well, would you rather be do. on a trike or would you rather be at home, you Doing know, collecting nothing. dust yeah. in a recliner? 
Yeah. For, okay. for me, you, it would have to really be decided what type of riding you're talking about to figure out the exactly. best bike and to figure out if you're too old or not. Now, I don't mean any offense by this to some of the guys that are up there in age, but I've got customers, 80, I got some that are in their 90s, they're still riding. Now, the thought of their ride is a lot different. You know, some of the older guys, upper 80s, the two that I'm thinking about in their 90s, they don't venture very far from the house. You know, they're 15, 20 miles, and that's about it. You know, your stamina most of the time is what's gone. Right. So to talk about long hauls, trekking across the country at it's that It's going to take you a lot longer because you're not going to be able to do the five, 600 mile days. Yeah. You know, as bad as it really, really sounds, it, it's kind of true. Most people don't have the stamina to do that. So then you start redesigning what riding looks like to you. And if it's owning a motorcycle to where you can get on and go ride parades or get on and just ride into town or around your local area a little bit, then the bike kind of does change a little bit. You don't have to have a big, heavy bike to handle touring stuff. Right. A smaller, lighter bike is perfectly fine for that. It's just being about, it's just about being on two wheels and being out riding. Any bike that can keep up speed without putting a strain on the bike, yeah. you know, highway speeds, yeah. is, is big enough. So then we talk about trikes. Here's the advantage and the disadvantage to somebody at an uh, advanced age, we'll say. And again, you know, for everybody, that's completely different. Well, exactly. I, see, I know 40 and 50 year olds that physically can't ride or physically can't. They got a handicap or some reason. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my wife has a uh, relative. They, I think, I don't know their exact age, but they're in their late 80s, maybe early 90s, and have rode two up cross country for a long time. And only recently, last year or two, have gone to a trike. Right. But they're still riding. That's the advantage to owning a trike. The advantage to owning a trike is that it's stable, if, especially if you buy a conventional trike, whether it be two wheels in the back or two wheels in the front. I would stay away from the training wheel trikes, where it's your front wheel, rear drive wheel, Voyagers, who makes that kit quite a bit. And then it just has two little outrigger wheels that kind of keep you upright. They're not very good. They're not very comfortable, and they really don't help a ton. The only thing that really helps you is maintaining an upright position at parked or at slow right. speeds. Plus, you get laughed at a lot. Yeah, there is that. But they kind of make riding a lot worse because it's all the time fighting each other, the bike to the outside wheels. The disadvantage to going to a trike at an advanced age is the cost of the trikes. You know, you talk about being it's substantial. 70 or 80 years old or even older. Maybe, I don't know what everybody's financial situation is, but you talk about average price on a decent trike that's relatively new you're talking you know 16 to twenty two thousand dollars for a good used trike and a lot of guys don't want to spend that kind of money when they think oh, i might only have a year or two more riding at all um then the other the flip side of that outside of just the pros and cons to a trike is the weather depending on where you live at the weather will play a big part on how much you can ride and how little you can ride Plus, there's a, a slight learning curve on a trike. There is. They don't handle if, the same as a motorcycle. Yeah, especially if you've been two-wheeled forever. It, yeah. There's a learning curve to, to being on a trike. Okay. But the well, answer is it's never too old, and the best bike is the best bike for your riding style of what you're going to be. And your capabilities. You're, you're going to, yeah. All right, let's move on to another question. You know, that answer you gave was uh, to the point, succinct. Uh, it made sense. It have you not had not had not had enough <laughs> liquor? Had enough, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, the second question is from Charlie from McMinnville, Tennessee. Tennessee, good place. Yeah, I've been to McMinnville. It's a nice place. 
So I just found your podcast on Spotify and I'm loving it. Well, thank you. Says so I'm 32 and I've been wanting to pull the trigger on getting my very first motorcycle. And I was wondering if you have any recommendations regarding a type and style of bike that I should consider for my first bike. Now, I understand you just found the podcast or anything like that. We actually did an episode on this a while back. It was actually June 11th. Okay. So, you know, you might go back and listen to that podcast, but we'll touch on it uh, briefly here just uh, because you asked. I think it has a lot to do with the kind of riding that you're wanting to do. Are you wanting to have a bike that you can go on-road, off-road? So a dual sport, obviously. Are you thinking about getting out there on the long, lonesome highway and start cruising cross-country? The very first thing that I would do before I even thought about purchasing a bike is taking a rider safety course. Most of them have bikes that they will supply for that. Yeah, yeah. Most always they give you the bike because they don't want you... They don't want the liability of you damaging your motorcycle exactly. or some of a cost or whatever. So that. do so. that first. Yeah, great idea for sure. Uh, my question would be is, have you ever been on a motorcycle? Have you ever ridden anything at all to give you an idea of your skill set and what you enjoy? You know, it might be the first one you bought, but have you ever been on one? Here's what I would say, and I absolutely love saying this. Here Think about go. all the brands out there and then get rid of them and only buy Harley. It's a multitude of things, okay? So say you're going to pop the money on a bike. Justify that. And I'm not dogging Harley. I yeah. like Harley. Go you, ahead and you're justify just pop that. the money on a bike. Why buy a cheap, inexpensive bike that, say, six months to a year, you don't like riding? You're not good at it. You don't enjoy it. You don't have the time for it. You sell that bike for a fraction of what you paid for it. You've lost money. And they're harder to sell. You buy a Harley, keep it for a year, year and a half, and you decide you don't want it. Everybody wants a Harley. Everybody wants to go to one, especially if you buy the right. So you're indicating that it won't be hard to get rid of, which it wouldn't. No, a lot higher retail used, a lot more activity as far as people looking to get one. Even your jackass was thinking about getting rid of your Vic to go to a Harley. I was. And there's big reasons why too. And if it were, we bust each other's balls, but nobody could ever say that I hate Harley because I don't. Yeah. Now, with that being said. I would stay away from buying a Harley Sportster first. Why? Because that's be- known as being a good first bike. It is a great bike, bar none. But what I find is that even buying a 1200 Sportster, within six months to a year of you really riding it, you've vastly outgrown it. And now you're going to try to get rid of it to go buy another bike. Well, that is probably one of the only bikes that does not have the highest net retail so you're advocating for them to go to their their real bike i mean the bike that they're going to stick with yeah get one a little bit bigger cc a little bit heavier and say you don't think you're going to be a long distance rider a cross-country rider well shoot buy a a harley softtail maybe buy a dyna dynas are kind of right there on the cuffs Um, now they're very very popular but you know there was a time where dynas weren't that popular but they were bigger than a sportster but similar weight, similar everything to a Sportster. So you kind of got the best of both worlds with a Dyna. With a Softail, freaking everybody loves a Softail. Everybody wants a Softail. Back in the mid-2000s, that was like the highest sold motorcycle for Harley-Davidson was the Heritage Softail. You can find them everywhere. Prices are pretty decent on them. You know, after 06, they had a 96-inch motor and a six-speed trans. 
after 2010 or 11, something like that, they started getting cruise control and stuff on them. So you, it's kind of one of those crossovers. You could tour on it, but it's still a great bike to just run around town on. So that's kind of where my mind goes to, um, with the after, with the other brands, you know, say Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, they're kind of all or nothing. You either get a big CC motor, big CC bike, or you get a small little bike. There's really not a ton of in the, in the middle, except for with Honda with their shadow, like 1100s. Yamaha sells a V-Star 1100. The Rebel, I think is a great bike. It's, you know, a small bike, but it's an 1100. Oof. <laughs> now, that, to me, that would be fun. It's a big ass motor and a, and a small frame bike. Yeah. The only other thing is, is it's a lightweight bike and it handles so much different from a heavier bike. It does. And then you get tired of the lightweight bike, the way it rides down the highway, and then you buy a heavy bike and now you're kind of adapting and relearning to a heavier, larger bike. Well, let me explain to you why you've gone wrong. This, the whole, <laughs> your whole premise is, is out the door. That's bullshit is what that is. Uh, take it from experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you should go be... with, and I'm not going with a brand. The brand in this discussion for me is irrelevant. Find yourself a middleweight dual sport bike. And I say mm. dual sport because you may want to get into bikes, but you don't really know. Maybe, maybe you end up just like off-road going back on the dirt roads and uh, over there in Tennessee and around McMinnville, just like here, you're, inundated with back road country roads and that might be your thing well you, you can if do it that. was his thing he would be asking about buying a dirt bike he didn't say a dirt bike or a street bike he just said getting into motorcycles so i'm talking generic uh, here. i don't know and secondly that's a far stretch a good dual sport bike will you know you can take on the street gives you the option of learning uh, which way you want to go with regards to the way you want to ride and where you want to ride Disregard everything Randy said. Yeah, yeah. And um, exactly, you'll be you'll be happy you went this way. <laughs> so now that we've I, I now that we've straightened the kid that. out, not, <laughs> I would not have Charlie. To you buy a, a dual sport. A dual sport would never be my first choice of getting into motorcycling. Well, see, that's why you you. It takes so much more technical skill set to ride a dual sport bike. Well, exactly. But if you're still, just first getting into it, you're not going to have that skill set built up to be able to navigate back roads. But if you can do gravel, the back roads uh, and all that, you yeah, can do anything. Yeah. Then buy a freaking Honda CRF 450 and ride the back roads, then get a motorcycle. All right. Now that we've gotten you liquored up, uh, tell me what you wanted to talk about. You had uh, a, yeah, an yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they say size doesn't matter. You're right indicating on. that it does. Uh, perspective, I guess. So the biggest thing that most people want to do is they want to add power and sound to their motorcycle, right? Okay. You know, we live in a world where biggest dick swings, right? You, you got to have the biggest, you got to have the best, you got to have the nicest. So when you talk about doing that, you know, there for a long time before a lot of this other power adder stuff kind of hit to uh, mainstream, it was always... You know, big bore, big cams, big head work, stroke it. How do we got to get the biggest amount of power out of these engines? And from my experience, you take it a stock mill, and I'm going to base this all off of Harley because I, I people know that by now. And with that, there's not a lot of guys out there taking a freaking Yamaha 1100 or a Honda 1100 and big boring it and camming it and stroking it. Just, oh, that shit that. doesn't happen. No, okay? it doesn't. So when you talk about it, you're talking about naturally aspirated V-twins. 
that's what you're really talking about in this world or in my world at, at the very least, I guess. So you take a stock mill, say a 96 inch or 103 Harley motor, and you want to add power to it. So for the longest time, it was always throw a nice set of cams into it, do a big bore, flow the heads, put a bigger throttle body on it, um, port match everything, and that's that's what you're going to get, right? And then you go one step more and you try to stroke that motor. What they talk about stroking is is extending the stroke and the swing of the crankshaft. So when you stroke one, almost always you have to worry about case machining. So a lot of guys, some guys don't stroke it because you have to pull everything down, machine the case, so the pistons have clearance when it goes down at the bottom end of the stroke on the crankshaft. All of that is great. Those motors sound amazing. There's guys out there that's getting a lot of power out of those motors. Now, in my experience and what I've seen is reliability and longevity sometimes goes away with that. So you talk about doing a big bore and doing a stroke. You do all this machining. You take a set of 96-inch jugs and then you bore them to the max amount. Well, now your cylinder walls are thin. And with that, you create a lot of excess heat. And if you don't have a good engine builder and you have the wrong parameters of your heads and your valve lift and your cams and all that, well, now you've just thrown a lot of money at something and you didn't reap all the benefits. So what I'm getting at is it's fairly expensive to do a big inch motor build off of a stock engine. Okay, so what's the adverse action there? Will you buy a crate engine? Harley sold their one their 110 and then they told they sold their 120R and their 120ST and now they're making their stage 5 M8 motor that's got all that stuff done. But isn't that really expensive as well? It is. It can be expensive for sure, especially if you're talking about, you know, cost to the numbers that you're getting out of it, power and torque numbers. You know, back in the day, a, a 120 street, a 120 ST or 120R motor when they first came out, and I could be way off on this, they were like 13, 14 grand for the engine. Or you could take your 110 and spend eight to nine grand and get very, very close to num numbers wise, save you a little bit of money. So now here's the part that really throws a wrench into everything power adders, turbos, superchargers, or prochargers. Um, nitrous, which I am not an advocate of nitrous whatsoever. Not if you want longevity. It is a freaking cheater is all that that is. It will give you power, but it, it does a lot of damage to your engine, especially when it's not set up. And That's for people that are running it on the track. Yes, yes, 100%. Now, where I have seen nitrous be very lucrative is inline four sport bike motors running little cheater shots at NOS, little things like that. They are a lot more forgiving than an air-cooled big twin. So, support by guys, give you a little nod right there. So, you talk about power adders. So, say you take, and we're just going to use a standard 103 Harley engine, because that's what a lot of people are, you know, in the used market. You're going to see a 103 twin cam, unless you're able to buy a newer M8, the 107 M8, things like that. So you take a 103 twin cam, you say you use fuel moto or someone like that. You buy their, their oversized cylinders and pistons. You send your heads out and have them flowed. You buy the bigger throttle body. You buy a good set of cams. You let them put their Thundermax ECM into it. You're talking somewhere around eight, nine grand relatively. 
And then you got labor and you got to build all that. You got to put it all together and then you got to dyno tune it or just use their base map tunes. So say you have a $10,000 investment into it. Number wise, you're going to see 130s for foot pounds of torque, upper one mid to upper 120s for horsepower. Really respectable, really, really good. If you spend a little bit of money and you might be, you might possibly be able to hit almost that 140 mark on torque. So say you're eight to 10 grand into that, or there's a couple of different turbo companies, but we're going to use the one that everybody knows and hears about all the time. You buy a Trask turbo system for it, $8,500 relative retail price. It's a bolt on kit. It comes with new injectors, new airbox, the turbo, the exhaust, all the piping, all the flanging, the little intercooler. Is this somebody that a person with just modicum mechanical skills can do or? Truthfully, yes. You know, any good, you know, garage mechanic can install these kits. Now, when you order it, there's a couple of questions that they ask you as far as, you know, what your bike is, what it's set up as, things like that. Now, with that, say you, you pop the eight grand, 8500 whatever it is, on a Trask Turbo system. You get a couple of different options as far as what your exhaust looks like, as far as if it's just a single discharge or you get what's called their Typhoon system where it's got two little pipes that come out. Anyway, all that, all that bullshit's aside. Trask is saying you're going to see relatively somewhere around 160 to 170 horsepower. Your, your torque's going to jump, you know, naturally it's going to jump up a bit, but it's not going to be anywhere near that. Like it's, it's a lot of horsepower. Not for the beginner. Not rider. as much torque. Now what's freaking great about that, about going to say a turbo is it's all expended energy to create energy. I mean, it's essentially that if you're cruising around town, you know, off idle up to, you know, 1500, 2000 RPMs, granted, you're not making a ton of boost. But you're also not creating havoc on your engine. It's literally just spinning a wheel. And that's all it is. It's exhaust coming out of the head, spinning a turbine, you know, spinning an exhaust wheel mm -hmm. and a compressor wheel. It's compressing air. So if you're not spinning very much pressure, you're not creating very much pressure. You're also not creating a ton of internal heat or EGTs. But crack the throttle and you really start spinning that turbo. Now you start creating an immense amount of power off of that. Now you have all that horsepower that you always wanted at the twist of the throttle. Granted, they talk about turbo lag. It's a little bit. It's not a ton, but it's a little bit. They've done a good job about sizing the compressor and sizing the turbo to where it pulls boost fairly easy. And then the harder you pull it, the more power that you end up making. So it makes a really, really good mid-range to upper-end power as far as that goes. And you don't kill the low end and you don't kill your engine. Now with a turbo, you can go one step further and get flowed heads. You can get turbo cams. You can get a lot of other stuff that's going to make even more and more power with it. Now we'll talk about the other one is it's a pro charger. A pro charger essentially works the same way a turbo does, except it doesn't use exhaust gas to spin. On a Harley, it goes off your primary side and there's another pulley for your crank sprocket that runs an, up to the Pro Charger itself. Well, in that, you have a belt and the belt is actually what's spinning it. And with that, you have a little bit of power loss with the rotational mass of that extra pulley on both ends and the belt. You know, you're going to lose a little bit there, but you're going to create pounds of boost with the Supercharger or Pro Charger rather 
And that is just forced induction down your intake. Still pick up really, really good numbers. You still have somewhat of a usable low end and upper end. It's a little bit more instantaneous than a turbo because as soon as the crank starts spinning, it's starting to spin and make boost. But with that, you have belt wear, you have belt life, you have extra oil lines to oil that um, pro charger. With a turbo, you do have an extra oil supply line that goes into the turbo and then oil drain line back into the crankcase. So both of them, you have to have oiling. Turbo is a little bit easier, I would say. A little bit less harsh, a lot less moving parts. Pro Charger is really nice because it's instantaneous, more so than a turbo, but then you have extra maintenance with that. And then if you do a, a big CC naturally aspirated engine, a lot more cost, a lot more heat, a lot, I wouldn't say a lot less, you know, a, a little bit of a reduced reliability and longevity. Or you can buy, say, something like an SNS crate engine that's already built for large CC. It's already matched as far as its heads, its cams, its stroke, all that stuff, and do a drop-in replacement. Very nice, really easy, pretty convenient, somewhat expensive because you're buying crankcases, cranks, cylinders, heads. You're buying all of that in one package. So that's why it's a little higher retail. But then you also have your stock mill engine that if you ever wanted to, say, sell the bike, you can throw the stock engine back into it, keep your big twin, roll on. I was wondering what the uh, advantages or disadvantage to resale, would you be able to recoup your money? So I'm thinking in yeah, terms of on average. Yeah. yeah. On average, I will be a hundred percent honest. Anything that you add to the motorcycle, it adds sellability. It adds a small bump and in increase. So say if you think about it on the insurance side of it, say you take a stock bike, you put $10,000 worth of extras onto it. And the insurance side, all you've increased the value is 10%. So relatively $1,000 is all you've increased the value. Now there's ways around that with, you know, the scam of appraisals and things like that. Um, now what market value and suggested value, say through like NADA, Kelly Blue Book, insurance, whatever, it's completely different. I mean, 100%. Say you have a $15,000 motorcycle that you put $10,000 worth of add-ons onto and it's super dope, it's really clean, it's really done well. You may not be able to sell that $15,000 for $25,000, but there's a high probability you sell it for around 18 to 20. Yeah. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah. So market value, you will increase resale on market value. But you're not going to regain all of the money that you put in. No, no, you really won't. So that's why- It has to be for the love of it, not for a resale. Yeah. But that's why I like doing things like the turbos and the pro charger and stuff. Well, all that crap, you just take it back off. You put your ECM back into bike. it and then bam, there you go. Now you've retained that cost that you spent onto it. And if you can transfer it to another bike, freaking great. Or you take an $8,000 turbo system. Say you ran it for two years, you pull it off. Now you sell it for five or 6,000. You haven't lost eight. But you haven't, but you haven't regained it either. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. All right. Well, that seemed uh, minorly interesting. Minorly. Even, well, best. because I'm not a mechanic. <laughs> I drive the bus. I don't fix the bus. Yeah. So we're going to leave it there for now. We appreciate you listening. And uh, Charlie, I would recommend that you go back and listen to the episode Best First Bikes. Uh, and you might gain something from that. And until then... 
Stay safe and keep it on two wheels.